What's going on, man? It's your boy, Jay Holly. We are back. Another episode of Unfiltered with Jesse Holly. Episode deuce. Deuce. That's right. Episode 22. We cranking them out, man. You know what you have to do? Like, subscribe, tell a friend to tell a friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're far too kind. You could have been anywhere in the world, but I am so glad you are here with me. Man, we got a great show for you guys today. We're going to break this thing down. Cowboys, Niners, that embarrassment of a game Sunday night, primetime too. Sunday night football, your mama was watching. The whole world was watching, and it wasn't a good showing. We're going to talk about Mario Cristobal and what you doing, Mario? Mario, what are you doing? I got a little bone to pick with the WNBA. I'll get into that. I love the ladies, but I got a little bone to pick with y'all. We'll go around uh, sports. Rangers 2-0. We'll talk a little bit of Rangers and how I feel about them. Of course, y'all know. Y'all know I'm talking my, my adopted college team. You know I got a little Colorado news in there as well. Uh, but before we get to all of that, y'all know how I like to get down. I like to give my positivity off the top. Because let's be honest, some of y'all ain't going to make it to the end. And that's okay because I'm not for everybody. But I will say this. Give me three listens. Pick an episode. We got 22 of them. At 22, that's, that's at least 22 hours of content. Pick one, give me at least 15 minutes. And if you're not satisfied in that, those three listens, I love you. Go do your best thing in the world. But I think you'll, I think you'll be, I think you'll be hooked. I think you'll be locked in. Um, but before we get into the show, you know how I like to get mine. Let me get my positivity at the top. And here's what I have for you today. You, we, us. However you want to put it, we genuinely change ourselves for one or two reasons. One or two reasons we genuinely change ourselves. Inspiration, desperation. Those are the two reasons why we change ourselves. Inside, outside, however you want to look at it. Inspiration, we've all seen something, heard something, been somewhere that has given us this level of inspiration. These things that we can look at and go, wow, that person achieved this, or that person achieved that. And that is an inspiring thing to me. I, I can use that as motivation, as fuel to propel me to go do what it is that I've been called to do in this life. And I have them. You have them. One of the things uh, I look back over on, on my life and I, I look at inspiration. I look at now. You know, I look at Pat McAfee. However you may feel about Pat McAfee, it's inspiration to me. Like we see now Pat McAfee on the big network and making all this money a couple years ago. He wasn't doing that. He was, it's him and a couple friends just trying to put this stuff out there. And he bubbled and he bubbled. COVID happened and he kept bubbling and he kept bubbling and boom, it happened. It's an inspiration to me. Desperation. Boy, I've had some times. As a young kid, think about this for a second. I remember being a young kid, eight years old, having to take care of my little brother. I lived in three, I lived at uh, uh, 471 Madison Avenue in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And I had to walk to the corner store at the top of the block and work at eight years old. I remember being in, in school and I would steal money from certain people, mainly because I, not that I wanted to steal, but desperation said that I had to give my brother 50 cents every single day that before I locked him in the house and went to work, he needed a juice and some chips or juice and some candy. And I had, I only knew one way to get it. I was so desperate to, to do what I had to do that it took me places that I didn't want to go. But I, I look at those times of desperation and how it changed me, how it molded me into being the resilient person I am today. 
Now, of course, at eight years old, you want to say, I want to play at the playground. I want to color. I want to paint. I want to play video games. That wasn't my situation. And I had to work out of desperation because we didn't have, we didn't have food. We didn't have lights. We didn't have a lot of stuff. So I would work at this store and they would give me tips for bag and groceries. At the end of the night, if I made $2, $2.50, I was able to get a sub sandwich. I was able to get chicken rings and rice from the Chinese food store around the corner. I was able to get oodles and noodles. I was able to, to do things to help feed my family, my little brother. And that, that's what I'll tell you. that at, at some point in time, one or two of these things will change us. Honestly, if you live long enough, both of them will happen to you. You'll be inspired and you'll also find yourself in a situation where it gets a little bit desperate uh, and desperation kicks in and you find out who you really are in those moments. So uh, don't be afraid to be inspired. And don't be afraid to be desperate sometimes. Like that, that let that fuel you. Let that be the, the driving force to you to be successful. I think most people who are successful have probably experienced those things. All right, man, let's get into this embarrassing Cowboys game. Cowboys, Niners. When when this when this game came out on the schedule, most of you, like me, like a lot of the Cowboy fans, a lot of the Cowboy players. Coaches, front office people, media, they circled this game and were saying, this is the game that we're going to really be able to challenge or test ourselves with. It was going to be a litmus test of where the Cowboys were at that point in time of the season. We all know what happened in the playoff. They lost a close playoff game two years in a row. One of those years, they got bullied. The next year, they played close, but it was still that, that level of physicality they just couldn't, meet, couldn't match. And we thought, I thought, you thought that, you know what? This game might be different. Now, yes, I did not pick the Cowboys to lose simply because I just thought in order to truly be the man, you got to beat the man. And the Cowboys shown that they couldn't do that in the last two games. But I did think that this game was going to be a lot closer. There was going to be a three, four-point game. It was going to be competitive, come down to the last minute. And it was everything but that. It was an embarrassment. It was a dog-walking it was a complete and utter dominating performance by the San Francisco 49ers. I, I came on last week and, and I gave this riveting story about me and Uncle Ronnie. Uncle Ronnie is rolling over in his grave. He is saying, why you put me in that story? He's looking down from heaven and saying, you put me in that story and they didn't show up. They, Uncle Ronnie at least showed up. The Cowboys didn't even show up. 42 to 10 shellacking. It was a total beatdown. And I had the nerve to say that the Cowboys were little bro. No. No, y'all not even little bro. The Niners said, we not big bro. And they not little bro. We daddy. We we big papa. They are son son. They 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 are jit. They are they are our, our junies. They are sons. The Niners came in and said, "Go outside, get the switch, and you better not come back in here with a thin one." That's what they did to the Cowboys. They treated the Cowboys like their sons. Like you and my when, when I was growing up. When I was growing up, and I, some of you are like this. When I was growing up. The kids couldn't even sit at the adult table. There was a kid's table. Like, 
You sat over there with the kids and you bet not think you can come over here and talk a single word at the adult table. If it was a cookout, the kids table, you got hot dogs and hamburgers. That's what you got. And chips and a juice. You ain't get the ribs. You ain't get the steak. You ain't get the, the good chicken. You darn sure you get the crabs. I'm, I'm from Jersey. We used to have crabs at our cookout. You ain't get no crabs. If kids, kids get crabs, no. You sit over there with the hot dogs and hamburgers. That, that's where you sit. The cowboys were at the kids' table. And then when they tried to come over and have a, an adult conversation, Nina said, get back over there in that kids' table. Son, you hear daddy talking to you? They sunned the cowboys to a tune of 42 to 10. And, and, and I came into, I woke up this morning and I thought to myself, man, okay, Jess, you got to be the rational one, but be passionate. And I, I've been racking my brain all day long trying to find ways to not be, to not just wild out. Because y'all know I can, I can sometimes go off the deep end. But boy, was this a disappointment. I thought the Cowboys team was much closer to the Niners than what they displayed. And what made it even more embarrassing, there were moments in the prior games, you're like, man, if you could, we, we, we're not far away from them. And Kyle Shanahan not only said, are you not worthy to be on the same field as us? You're not even close to us. First mistake the Cowboys made was won the toss, deferred the ball to the second half. I thought that was dumb. You thought you, you were coming in on the road to a team that was superior than you and you were trying to prove a point and you gave them the ball first and you allowed them to dictate the pace. And what did they do? They just calmly walked the ball down the field, touchdown. Punched you right in the mouth. Like the Cowboys, think about Like you circled this game on the calendar and wanting to play, and the Niners just put a circle around your eye. They put a shiner right, right, on, right on your dome. You circled the game, they circled your eye. The offense put up less than 200 total yards of offense. 140 yards passing, 57 yards rushing. In four quarters, you couldn't muster 200 yards of total offense. The Niners put up over 400 yards of total offense. They killed you in time possession. They killed you on first downs. They killed you in turnovers. There, there was not, you know, normally you say there's three phases to the game, offense, defense, special teams. I always add a fourth one. They beat you in the four phases of the game. Offense, defense, special teams, coaching. Dominated. Dominated. I told y'all all this week, if Usain Bolt was born to run, Tiger was born to play golf, Steph was born to shoot threes, Fred Warner was born to play linebacker. I, I have to make a change in my NFL MCM. Sorry. It used to be Aaron Donald. Was my NFL MCM. It's no longer Aaron Donald. 
my side piece has now moved up into the starting roster. Fred Warner is now my MCM in the National Football League. I love this football player. Pause. And I'm as heterosexual as they come. But Fred Warner did some things in that football field that were unreal. He played a brand of football that was, that to football people was poetic. He, he's a dude, man. Like he is, he is, he is outside of, he is outside of the realm. Like I know I have to put Micah Parson in a realm with his freakishness. And I'm going to get into Micah Parsons because I, I, I'm feeling some kind of way about Micah Parsons. But Fred Warner is exceptional. And the Niners, this game became personal. I was reading an article earlier today from the San Francisco Chronicle, and they talked about how Shanahan took this game personal and he put it on his team. They showed a video, and most coaches do that throughout, you know, the night before the game. They show these hyped-up videos. You see them in your special team meeting, and then your, your head coach or whoever's leading the team, they'll have one in the team meeting. And in that meeting, Kyle Shanahan had a clip that had Tank Lawrence saying, after one of the games, you just witnessed the best defense in the world. And he showed that clip. And then, and then guys were like, how do you expect us to sleep at night now that you motivated us this much? Not that this game needed any more motivation, but they were out to prove a point. And the point was proven. The Cowboys and the Niners are not the same. The Niners are head and shoulders above the Dallas Cowboys. To me, the Niners are the best team in football. The areas where we thought was a weakness for them, wasn't. Knew what they would be up front. I knew what they would be at the linebacker position. We thought maybe we can get some pass on the outside, but I knew they played the percentages. So every single time you thought that you were going to get something off, here come Nick Bosa, here come Eric Armstead, here come Frank, uh, Warner, here come Dre Greenlaw. They were consistently making plays. The Cowboys did not show up. And, and I honestly, can I could have done a whole show today on this game. An hour worth of content on this game. That's how many fingers need to be pointed across the board. But I'll start with Mike McCarthy. And I, there has been no bigger advocate for Mike McCarthy than Jesse Holly. Freaky Mike is my guy. And I thought with him finally being able to take over the offense and call the play that this thing, I called him Freaky Mike because I thought, man, when he, when he calls the plays, this offense is going to get freaky. And the only thing freaky about this offense is that it's freaky bad. It's freaking bad. This whole text coach offense, it ain't it. This ain't that and that ain't this. And I've been waiting and trying to keep people at bay with the whole thing of, well, the first game it was weather, and then it was a kind of already a blowout. Oh, we had a, we had a hiccup, and then, but you still didn't see it. And it wasn't just red zones being our problem. It, it, it was 
this offense didn't have any flair to it. It didn't have any big play component to it. It, it had a lot of dink and dunk. But when you play against a superior team, you got to be superior in what you do. You have to be extra crisp in your play calling, your route running, everything, your design. And it just hasn't. It's been lackluster at best. It's been middling around against opponents that are not good enough to challenge you. And when we saw when they got behind against the Arizona Cardinals, there was not enough offense to be able to will them back to victory. I said, I thought, you know, Dak Prescott in that Arizona game, I, I need to see a little Superman. Loosen up the tie, unbutton the shirt. Superman is alive. But a lot of what this offense is doesn't allow Dak or anyone else to be Superman. you got to be Clark Kent. And maybe I, maybe some of you, completely misjudged what Mike McCarthy would be as a play caller. After last night, I have questions. I have a lot of questions. Is this the offense that we're going to see for the rest of the season? Because while the efficiency has been there, the completion percentage has been there, it hasn't been an explosive offense. It hasn't been an offense that you really feel like could threaten people. I saw that look like last night. And I saw an offense that looked like, boy, do they spread you sideline to sideline. You have to defend every blade of the grass and everybody is an option. With the quarterback that was in complete control. I didn't see that with Mike McCarthy's offense. They didn't come out looking like they had the answers. They looked confused. They looked less than. And it showed to the tune of 42 to 10. Less than 200 yards of total offense. Really one drive that really kind of made you feel good about it. And that was a touchdown of Kevontae Turpin. Mike McCarthy has to face this. And then you talk about the quarterback. I have not been a Dak believer, but I haven't been a Dak hater either. And I guess like that kind of puts us where we're at today. And I'm here to finally say it publicly. I don't think that Dak Prescott is the quarterback that's going to drive this team to the Super Bowl. I think he's a good quarterback. But I think there has to be a ton of things around him that go right for him to carry this football team to the next level. Last night, he looked shell-shocked. He looked like he had like deer in the headlights. Time and time again, you see guys um, open and the ball not being delivered. Some of it is not all him. Some of it is the offensive line. You got to understand how things are working, when that player came open, is his eyes looking in that direction. But Dak isn't, he isn't that, I'll say this, Dak isn't going to sink your ship, but he's also not going to get into the promised land. You're going to just float in the abyss of the sea waiting for help to come. Maybe that help comes from a dominating defense. Maybe that help comes from a running game having an amazing day. 
But Dak doing it on the shoulders, on, on his shoulders alone, we're in eight, we're in year eight. We're in year eight. You are who you are, dog. There, there is no all of a sudden this thing becoming, oh, he'll take the next step and he's gonna, nah. When you do, when you do something for eight years in a row, that's about it. And I think we're seeing, or we have seen the peak. The ceiling is the we've seen the roof. I think Dak has peaked. I think he is in the top 15 quarterbacks in the league, maybe even top 12 of the league. But he's far from elite. And I'm not, I'm not trapping on him. I think he's a good player. I think he's a solid quarterback that has a home and has a place in the National Football League. But if you're looking for him to put this team on his back or the proverbial shoulder and carry you to the promised land, it's not happening. It's not happening. And I think now we're, we're, we're seeing it. We're seeing what happens when you get into crucial moments against teams that are, that are, that are similar, to you, similar to you in talent or greater than you in talent, and you need that extra oomph to push you over the top. Not there. Regular season is fine. I get it. A lot of wins in a regular season. But over and over and over again, we've seen when you got to face competition and you need to make a play, you need to be bigger than the moment. Yeah, there's the Tampa Bay game in the playoffs. Then there's the Niner game. And over and over and over again, we've seen these moments where we need you to come up big. You just can't. And, you know, we, we, we sometimes blame the player, but he's just giving you what he got. Some of this comes back on ownership for saying that this is our franchise guy. This is who we're going forward. This is who we're paying. This is who we're allocating these amount of dollars to. And so as fans, as media members, as, as people who are watching the game, we're going to always tie to the person who's making the most money needs to have the biggest impact. If you're the quarterback, if you're making the most money, we're looking for you to have the biggest impact. When in reality, Dak just played the game that he's played and they paid him according to that. But it ain't adding up. The math ain't mathing. I get what the market is, but if you're looking for that franchise quarterback, that true franchise quarterback that's going to get this team past whatever that is, you don't have it in uniform with the Cowboys. You have a quarterback that's going to keep you competitive. You're going to stay afloat. You're not going to sink. You're not going to be... The Houston Texans. You're not going to be the Cleveland Browns. You're not going to be the 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 name a, a, a lowly. You're not going to be the Carolina. You're not going to be them. We're not going to talk about you in February either. And no matter how we want to paint this picture, 27 years is 27 years. That's real. That's a real stat. That's a real number. 27 years is 27 years. And while the Cowboys are not what they used to be, 
Because they had some lonely moments in the quarterback realm trying to figure this thing out. I, I don't see this thing being able to be propelled to Super Bowl status. And for me, I, I don't do moral victories. And there is no, well, if we just make it to the NFC, if we just make it to this, nah. It's, it's, it's Super Bowl or bust. That's it. That's all you play for. That's it. There is no there is no moral victory in making it to the champ, NFC Championship game, which I don't think they're going to do. Because this thing now goes through either Philly or San Fran. I'm, I'm, 70, I'm 75% on the side that you can't beat Philly in a playoff game. I'm 100% that you cannot beat the Niners. Defensively, Boy, have we gone and we looked at this thing over and over and over and over and over again. And still, still up front, can't handle it. Still on the back end, can't handle it. You you brought all these safeties in and we thought, and I, and I still think Dan Quinn is a quality Probably one of the best DCs in the game. But his inability to first stop the run, to not get bullied up front, and then to create a defense that is, is dominant against the teams that are good, that have good quarterback play, that have good weapons. Yeah, it's easy to beat up on Booty Juice Jones in New York. It's easy to beat up on Goose Juice Jones for the Jets. For Booty Juice Mac Jones, that's easy to beat up on those guys. But when you got to face the real dogs, Aaron Rodgers of the world, now the Brock Purdy's of the world, you come up short. And one of the things I look at this defense and, and, and boy, do they talk. Boy, do they talk. And all day long, while I'm processing this whole thing, the thing that stuck out to me the most was Michael Parsons. And I told y'all football is fluid. And week one, I was, I was, I was anointing Michael Parsons as the best football player in the land. Nah, I was wrong. I apologize. I think Michael Parsons is still a good football player. Great football player. I don't think Michael Parsons is the leader that we all think he is. I think when you look at Michael Parsons, Michael Parsons is good for Michael Parsons. Michael Parsons wants to be good and train hard and do all the things for Michael Parsons. And in the interim, if him being good for him positively impacts the defense, then it's okay. But I watched this game because this game meant something. At least it did to me. It, it meant something on how you were going to approach this game. It meant something to me on how you were going to attack this game and the outcome of this game. Now, if you lose this game on a last second field goal, but you battled and you competed and you were in there, I, again, I'm not in the moral victories, but I can go, I understand it. To pick the Niners to win. But when you get blown out 42 to 10, now you question everything. 
And I watched this game. And for whatever reason, Dan Quinn decided I'm going to put Michael Parsons on the same side as Trent Williams, who will get a who will get a yellow jacket that he does not pay for. Eliminated him. Michael Parsons was on pace, having five plus pressures a game for eight games straight. He had one pressure. Zero sacks. One solo tackle. In a game that he had to play and show up in a major, major way. And he does all the talking. He does all the antics and, 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 and everything. But I think he's beginning to do that for him. I think Micah is concerned about his popularity. I think Micah is concerned about his overall performances. Because while we praise Micah Parsons, when you go and you sometimes break down that film, a lot of the issues that happen up front is because Micah doesn't always do his assignment. He's freakishly athletic enough to where he can go inside when he's supposed to go outside and still make a play. And when he comes up big in games, we kind of ignore the other little stuff that, that, that doesn't show up. But it was some things in this game that really rubbed me the wrong way. The first one being, you didn't show up. You talked about all this, I'm, I'm a lion, uh, I'm this, and the biggest games you don't show up. It's a problem for me. Now, some of you are going to say, well, Jesse, you can never be Micah Parsons, yada, 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 yada. Cool. You're right. You can never be me. See how that works? So I get it. Will I ever be of the great? No, I won't. I won't. And I'm cool with that. But those of you that are saying, understand one thing. You'll never be me. No matter what. And whether my time was short-lived or whatever. I was considered one of the greatest athletes in the world. Period. As I continue. Micah Parsons didn't show up. Did not show up in the game that mattered so much to the team. For you to be the big dog, for you to be the lion of the pack, uh, the lion of the pack, the the, the 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 Mufasa of the pack, didn't show up. That was the first thing to me. Then the second thing was at the end of this football game, and I, I get it. Here's Jesse get ready to be old man, get off my lawn, mold. I get the game has changed and it's different, and I'm okay with that. But sometimes you got to read the room. And after this game is over, where you were embarrassed, demoralized, beat up, bullied, whooped, in your mind, you thought, well, here's where I'll go and run down Christian McCaffrey and ask him for a jersey swap. I read the room. God, and I get it. This is the this is the new age of how things go. 
But, but the competitor in me cries, fringes. When I look at a player who just got dominated by another player in team, and now I want to stand there for a photo op. Y'all not brothers. Y'all ain't go to the same school. Y'all mothers ain't friends. Like, there's nothing, there's no history there. If you wanted Christian McCaffrey's jersey, send the ball boy. Send an equipment man. Send a trainer. Say, hey, I'm going to sign this jersey, run it across to the visit to the home team locker room, give it to Christian McCaffrey, get me his, and wait till the offseason. But for after you, for, for a game where you got worked, I mean, whoop that trick type level beating. You thought it was okay to do a jersey swap and for a photo op? And you're the lion and leader of this defense? That didn't sit well with me. And you talk about, on multiple occasions, Kobe Bryant's my favorite player. I got the Mamba mentality. Let's keep Kobe's name out your mouth. Kobe wouldn't do that. Kobe, the Mamba mentality, if I got beat 42 to 10 and I didn't even show up and have an impact on this game, Kobe's not swapping jerseys. Kobe ain't even talking to his teammates. The people who got the same jersey as him on. You think he's swapping jerseys and, and, and being chummy chummy haha with the opponents? The same Kobe who wanted Shaq traded because he didn't work hard enough? Nah. We, we got you talking about two different Kobe's. Not the Kobe that I know. What you did after that game. Kobe would never. Kobe's rolling over in his grave right now. You got my uncle rolling over his grave. You got Kobe rolling over his grave. To say that you have the mama mentality, and then after getting worked 42 to 10, you go and get a jersey swap? No. And then the final thing that really bothered me, that, Micah, you get into the post game. And you say things like, we beat ourselves. You say things when, when the reporter asks you about the loss. You say that losses like this are a blessing. Sorry. I don't want my blessing with a butt kicking. <laughs> I want blessings like the next man and woman. Just don't give me mine with a butt kicking. There are lessons to be learned in losses. But I'm never going to look at a loss like that as a blessing. Then you say things when they ask you like, you know, hey, you guys are still having problems with the interior in the run game. And you say, well, I don't know what happens on the inside. My job is to, is, to, is to set the edge. So I don't know what those guys got going on in there. Yeah, they need to fix that. Huh? What? You're the leader of this defense. You play on the defensive line. That's not the answer that I'm looking for my all-world leader. That's not the response that I'm looking for my all-world leader. I want my all-world leader to step up there and say, you know what? We got our butt kicked. It's on me. I got to be better. I got to get the rest of these guys better. And we have to perform better. We're going to watch the tape. We're going to regroup. We're going to come back. 
And I'm all for players making their money. I'm all for players, you know, empowering players and doing their podcasts and all that kind of stuff. But then you get on the podcast and you make a comment like, oh yeah, George Kittle had the FU shirt on. Because George Kittle had an FU Dallas shirt, uh, F Dallas shirt on underneath, and he showed it to the fans after they scored their fourth touchdown. And you say, all I can say about that is uh, to George Kittle, because now he made it personal. Wait, now he made it personal? Now he made it. It wasn't personal before. It wasn't personal after the playoff loss. It wasn't personal when the game started and they and they, and they they punched out in the mouth, walked down the field. Now it's personal. And now you're saying, oh, it's personal. I'm going to tell George Kittle, you know, it's all, you know, that's my guy. But, you know, laugh now, cry later. What? I'm, I'm, I'm warped. I'm in a time warp because I just don't get it. And I'm old. I see the grays in my beard, my back pricks, my knees crick when I get up and walk. I can't stand for long periods of time. I get it. But when I'm looking at my leaders, I'm not looking at my leaders to say that. To do that. That's just not, that's just not what I see. That's just not what I see. As real leadership. And as a, and as a defender, like, I've been an offensive player my entire life. But as a defender, there is a, there, there is a level of physicality and meanness that you must play with. When I look at like the, 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 the Ray Lewis's of the worlds, the Lawrence Taylor's of the worlds, Reggie White's, Terrell Suggs, like, it's one thing to, to for us to laugh and joke when we in the Pro Bowl or we see each other in the offseason. But dog, not when I get my butt kicked 42 to 10. But I want a journey spot with the opposing team. And, and maybe this is this is Micah that people say, oh, it's, it's routine, it's routine. Nah, 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 nah. Nah. I don't know, man. I, I I think I think Micah Micah wants to be good for Micah, and if it's good for the team in the progress in the process, so be it. But I, I look at guys. You hear stories about the Legion of Boom. I look at guys like Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw. Like I just feel like the leadership that they portray, how they hold the guys accountable, how they make sure. Like I'm not in the locker room every day. I'm at the, I'm at, I'm around the football team. I'm at the star every single day. Like Mike is not the guy that's bringing the guys together and saying, let's watch extra film. Let's really break this thing down. Like he's not the guy that's bringing the units together. I, I know that for a fact. So when I look at leadership and all that kind of stuff, I'm just saying, you're a really good player. Really, really, really good player. I don't know if you're the leader that you need to be. And you're still young. So in your third year, you have some more growing to do. But heavy is the head that wears the crown. And if you're going to be the king, the lion, then you have to take on all the responsibility that comes along with it. Win, lose, or draw. And you have to stand up in front of the, the media and describe that type of game that you that you put out there on, on tape, it, it, your answer should never be, 
well, I don't know what they do. Your answer should never be, oh, we beat ourselves in a situation where the team absolutely worked you. Should never be that. You have a long way to go. Immensely talented. You got to work on the other things that make you a complete pair for the team. Not for you. And not in hope that just because you're really good, that it'll positively impact this team. I mean, I, I can go on for hours about Dan Quinn didn't show up. I mean, our safety play. I mean, there was there were so many things. The receivers not getting set. And I'll get more into it throughout the week. But it, it was just something that it was an embarrassment. This Cowboy team is not a Super Bowl contending team. This defense is not a historically. And that's another thing. Like, I don't know where we all of a sudden became a society where you start naming yourself historically great. Like that's that's not a that's not a a, a a statement reserved for you. That's a statement that's bestowed upon you from those that are playing against you, for those that are watching you. When you start saying things from the inside, like yeah, we're the we're historically the best. We want to be the nah, dog. The great defenses that we talk about, the two thousand Ravens, the Legion of Boom, the the, the eighty five Bears, they didn't say that. Those that played against them said that. They gave them the moniker as the best. When you start saying it because you can just say it, tells me all I need to know. That's more bark than bite. When the league starts saying, when the league starts giving you monikers and the league starts giving you nicknames, that's when you really, really, really bout that business. But if you're calling yourself the best as a unit and historically enough like that, and nobody else that you're playing against is saying that, get it. Have confidence in yourself. Believe in yourself. I'm for all that. I'm for it. But some of those things need to be kind of internal. And then you just walk the walk. You put forth the effort that make people go, that dude, those dudes, this offense, this defense. The Niners aren't walking around talking about, we the best team in the league. Nah, they just saying, when we show up, your pads going to hit your pads for four quarters, and you're going to say that we're the best team in the league. That's what they've done. That's what they've done. But when you see things like George Kittle pulling up the shirt and it says F Dallas on it, when you hear Trump Williams saying that earlier in the week that this is a game that's an ice bath game, and then he asks him after the game, is this an ice bath game? And he goes, nah, we good. When the respect is gone, the disrespect will appear. They don't respect you. So they're going to do and say things that are disrespectful. And that's unfortunate because I thought this team was better than it really was. And after that game, I left with far more questions than I did entering. 
And I don't know what they're going to have to do between now and the end of the season to kind of get me back believing that they're a, a, a legitimate contender. I don't know. But as long as that Niners team is healthy, if the Cowboys have to face them 10 times out of 10 times, I'm probably going to pick the Niners 11 times. For sure. We'll get more into this, man. Uh, quick update. Kevontae Turpin, high ankle sprain. He's going to be out four to six weeks. Uh, Leighton Vanderesh, neck injury. He's probably going to go on IR, which means he's a minimum of four games missed. The linebacker group was already thin, will become thinner. Remember, they let um, they, they let two of their players go. Um, drawing a blank now. Um, shoot. The young kid out of LSU, Jabril Cox, and, uh, and and they let another guy go last week, and he got picked up by the by the what's called. It doesn't matter. It does matter. They have to find some veteran linebackers out there, or Michael will have to go back and play linebacker, whatever it is. But an already thin position is thinner. Um, you saw Deron Bland. He went out, came back in. Donovan Lewis got banged up. It's going to be some questions leading up to this game against the Chargers about injuries. I don't know. All right, but let's go around the league. The Rangers, 2-0. Let's go Texas Rangers. Against the Baltimore Orioles. Avid football follower. I enjoy baseball. I watch the Rangers. But one of the things that I like to watch is leadership. I'm, I'm big on leadership, guys. If you don't know this, I'm big on leadership. And when I look at the way that the, that the Rangers play, and I got to give Taylor, I got to give my boy, my partner, credit. Because he told me, he said, Jess, I know what the regular season was. Playoffs are different. And I knew that, but he, he said, no, you, it's different in baseball. It's different in baseball because what was really bad at one point in time can change in the nick of time can change overnight from series to series, from inning to inning. And I'm like, well, but, and we went back and forth. He's like, I'm telling you. And we both agreed upon time will tell. And time is telling right now because I didn't believe. I said, uh, the pitching, the, 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 the. he's like, I'm telling you, Jess, it, it can change in the playoff. That's another season. And I want to give credit to where I believe that, that, this Rangers team, both good, bad, but just the steadiness of it comes from. The Bochi boys. Their head coach. I think his even keelness throughout the season, he has a great voice, by the way. He's one of like those deep baritone voices. Like if he yelled at you, you could feel it in the ground. But when you look at what Bochi has been, he has been a stabilizer for this Rangers franchise. He has been someone they brought in. The Rangers had went through a rebuild. They fired everybody in the front office. They gave CY the keys to the Lamborghini and said, fix it. This team went from winning 60-something games to 90-something games. Tailed off a little bit at the end of the season. Could have won the division. They didn't. Whatever. We're here now. And I think the biggest thing that's been a, 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 a common denominator throughout this entire season 
has been the poise, has been the calm, cool, collective confidence of Bruce Bochy. And when you look at his history, this is a guy who has won three World Series. And the way that he's been able to win those, yes, he's had some great pitching, but he had, he doesn't always have the greatest of teams. Didn't have the biggest of bats, didn't have the greatest of lineups, had some really good pitching, had some bullpen play. But being able to put teams together and win three World Series, I think, gives you the, the knowledge, especially in the postseason. Especially in the postseason of how and when to flex certain things. Because I, I do believe, like in the regular season, you play so many games, 162 games. You kind of sometimes, you throw some games away because it's just like, you know, it's not worth, like the, 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 the squeeze isn't worth it. The amount that I'm going to, we're going to move on. We play again tomorrow. We'll try again tomorrow. We've got a seven-game series. But when you get into the playoff, there, there has to be a level of checkers, not chess. I mean, sorry, chess, not checkers. There had to be a level of strategy and really understanding the temperament of your player. And not only the player, but the person. And I think when you look at how, how, how Bochi has approached this thing, you hear all the players talk about, man, this dude is, is different. He, 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 he knows us as people. He knows what makes us tick. He knows the, the, the small little details about who we are. And then when you're able to look at that and then add that to the player that they're going to be, that's how you put lineup together. That's how you put things together. And that's how you're able to manage through some of the ebbs and flows of baseball. And he got this team right now one game away from sweeping the Baltimore Orioles, who are a young team, talented, but very young franchise. This, this will be a team that you hear about in the years to come. But I got to give some credit and I got to give some shout out to Bruce Bochy and the Rangers. He has done a masterful job at managing this team through the highs and through the lows of the season. And now you get to see his work. Having three world championships underneath your belt matters. More than you will ever know. And I'm excited to see what the team can do going forward. So let's go Rangers, man. One game away from closing out the Baltimore Orioles. Let's go. Let's go. At least we get some winning around here somewhere. I'm so mad at this. The Cowboys made me so mad, man. And I'm not one that I'm not one that get emotionally tied to certain things, but I was emotionally attached to that Cowboys Niners. In a weird turn of events, the NFL has had this thing with running backs. We're not paying running backs. We're not giving them new deals. We're not going to. And I think the catalyst of this all has been the Indianapolis Colts. They've had this weird relationship. Jim Ursay and companies have had this weird relationship with Jonathan Taylor. And it, it, I mean, it's weird. It took a wild turn of events the other day. While Jonathan Taylor got hurt, didn't play since December 17th of last year, one of the new deal, the NFL has come together and collectively said, running backs, screw you. Middle finger to you, running backs. We're not giving extensions. We're not giving big deals. We're not setting the market. 
Running backs are disposable. Well, you don't want to be hit. We'll get another one. We'll get two of you for cheap. A couple hundred thousand. A couple million. But we're not giving the big money to running backs anymore. We're going to run them into the ground and send them on their way. And it felt like the Colts were on the same path with Jonathan Taylor. He got healthy, wanted a new deal. They refused to give him a new deal. He was on the phone conference with other running backs trying to figure things out. He requested a trade. They said, fine, find a trade partner. He had filed trade partners. The Colts didn't make a trade. Then he got healthy. And he said he was healthy. Then he wasn't healthy, according to the team. Then they put him on pup, or IR, excuse me, missed four games, cleared IR, and was back. Then they gave him a three-year deal, $42 million, $26 million guaranteed. You want him or you don't? I don't, I don't, I don't get the Colts. And this is why this franchise has kind of been really bad since Peyton Manning was there and then uh, uh, Luck retired because of situations like this. I don't understand Jim Irsay. I don't understand the franchise. But when you go from not wanting a player, telling him to find a trade partner, then you don't trade him, you don't cut him, and you give him an extension. All the while when you had Zach Moss in there who went off in the game when, when, when Jonathan Taylor was coming back, you found yourself in a situation that I, I I don't know. I mean, now you're down Anthony Richardson, who will be out at probably a couple weeks with a with a shoulder injury. Weird things happening um, with the Colts. In other places where weird things are happening, the GOAT, the iconic one, the man, the myth, the legend, Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots are down bad. He benched Mac Jones for the second time. The Patriots are a bad franchise right now. And honestly, it really falls on the shoulders of Bill Belichick. Because Bill Belichick not only is the head coach, but he also handles all of the personnel. Drafting, trading, signing. Hadn't done a good job. Had not done a good job. His record without Tom Brady and his time there as a New England Patriot, 79 and 72. I'm not saying that it was Tom Brady, but I ain't saying it wasn't Tom Brady. Bench, bench Max Jones for the second time and still says, well, we, we need to rebuild or reload or do something. Mac ain't it. And you picked him. You have the arrogance at times to go, you know what? I'm going to bring in Matt Patricia and make him offensive coordinator. Did that a year ago. You have the arrogance of saying, you know what? We'll, we'll be a defensive coordinator team by committee. One week it'll be my brother. I mean, one week it'll be my son. One week it'll be... Uh, uh, Jared Mayo, Gerard Mayo, excuse me. One week it'll be me. Like you've kind of gotten in the way a little bit. And I know Robert Kraft has been a loyal, loyal owner to you. But I don't know if it's not time for Robert Kraft to come down and have the conversation. 
while you're looking to rebuild the team, if I was Robert Kraft, I might be looking to rebuild with you as well. I don't know. But it's not looking good for Bill Belichick. They're on this roller coaster of a season of a, I don't I don't even know um, what it is. But like I said before, time to pack y'all up, man. Bill, it might be just time to pack you up, bro. And and you had a good run. We all applaud what you were in your heyday. But she ain't that no more, my guy. Who is that guy? MCDC, the Motor City Dan Campbells. I got to give love to the Detroit Lions. And the reason I want to give love to the Detroit Lions, because one, we live in this microwave society. And time and time again, you see coaches get hired two years in. If it's not a vast improvement, you're out of there. They pack you up. Still got to pay you, but they pack you up. And I think this is restoring the fact that if you give a coach a little bit of time, if you allow him to implement his culture, if you allow him to get players in that truly embody what he's trying to do, you might have something. And the fighting Dan Campbells right now are three and one, and they are contenders, not for a Super Bowl. Relax, Detroit. <laughs> Relax, Motor City. Relax, Motown. But this ain't your daddy, Detroit Lions. This is not the Detroit Lions that you just come in and you look at on the schedule and you go, dub. This is the Detroit Lions team where you have to really look up and go, we got to play them. Oh, 4 1. Excuse me, 4 1. Pardon me. Excuse me, Detroit. Don't, don't jump me. I'm sorry. 4 1. Even better. This team is competing. They got Jared Goff playing the best football he's played. He's been to a Super Bowl. The running game is there. They got a really good defense. This team is legit. I got to say it. The, the Lions are legit. You got to go in and you got you to gotta claw out a victory over the Detroit Lions. They're they not giving games away anymore. And I'm happy for the Detroits. The, the Detroit people of Detroit. The Detroits. I'm happy for all the folks in Detroit. Michigan. I'm happy for the Lion fans. You have been, you have been the doormat to a lot of NFL for a lot of NFL years. And I think and I hope that ownership around the league are looking around and say, you know what? When we hire a guy, we're gonna give him a little bit of time. I'm not saying you gotta give him 10 years. <coughs> Jason Garrett. I'm not saying you got to give him 10 years, but give him a little bit of time. Give him three, four, five years and let him really figure this thing out. So shout out to the Motor City, Dan Campbell, the Detroit Lions, four and one. Cowboy fans, I don't know. This is going to be a tough game. It's going to be a tough game against Detroit. May beat them. May not. They, they, are, they have found themselves in that conversation. To where you just can't look over them anymore. You can't automatically put a dub on the calendar next to Detroit. So, who knows to Detroit? To the land of the WNBA, ladies, I love you.
for ways that you will never understand. And I am a, I'm not going to say I'm a diehard WNBA fan, but I am an, I am an avid, I'm an avid watcher of the WNBA. I go to a couple of WNBA Wings games, the, the, the Dallas Wings over in Arlington. I, I watch. I, I'm, I'm, I'm invested in the WNBA. I, buy, I got shirts. I got hoodies. I buy the merch. Yeah, I buy the merch. And that merch ain't cheap. That merch ain't cheap. Go to the games. I've taken groups to the games. I'm, I'm invested in the WNBA. But boy, do I have an issue with the way that you guys schedule your playoff games. More specifically, your NBA Finals games. Right now, the, 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 uh, the Vegas Aces and the New York Liberty are the NBA Finals, uh, the WNBA Finals. Take a wild guess at what day and what time they played the opening game of the WNBA Finals. Don't worry, I'll tell you. Sunday at 3.30 p.m. Sunday? 3.30? In September? October, excuse me? During the NFL season? Ladies, scheduling. Why? If you want people to become fans of the WNBA... Don't make me choose between you and football. Don't give me that ultimatum. I know some of you are going to say, well, you can kind of multi-screen. If I'm doing multi-screen, it's multi-NFL games. Like if there's a pecking order on how this thing goes, the NFL is king. Nothing comes above that. And then depending upon if I have another team in the race with baseball, depending on if my NBA team is playing a preseason game, I think you've done a, a major disservice to your league, to your players, to the scheduling of putting your finals game on Sunday to open up your NBA finals season. On a Sunday at 3.30. You may even had a better chance. If you did it. I don't know. Maybe like at 6. Like at the end of the, the last NFL game. Right before the Sunday night football game comes on. I turn over. I watch that. At least a half. Before I turn over back to NFL. I just. I, I'm a fan of the WNBA. I, I watch you. I support you. I buy tickets. I buy merch. I tweet about you. I'm talking about you. Just don't do things to hurt your brand. If you're trying to grow this sport and you're trying to take it to the next level, like to continue the momentum, I love what I saw in college this past year. Angel Reese and, 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 and uh, the Clark girl over in Iowa. They brought, they brought a level of excitement back to, 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 to women's basketball. But you got to keep that momentum going. I don't know if those girls are coming out this year. You would think they would, but shoot. 
Angel Reese probably making more money right now in the league in, in college or NIL deals than she would if she was the number one overall pick. If I'm Angel Reese, I'm trying to get another year. I'm trying to get another year at LSU. If I'm Caitlin Clark, I might try to get another year at, at Iowa. I'm making more bread. I'm making more money at my university than I am if I was the number one pick in the league. So, ladies, if you continue on, and it's not your fault, ladies, but whoever is the scheduling, we got to just do a better job with that. I want to watch. I want to be a fan. I want to. I want to. I want to join in. But I've got to choose between you and the National Football League. I love you. I really do. I don't know if I love you that much. But hopefully we can have a better relationship. And scheduling uh, can be a little bit better. So I'm not disappointed that I can't watch you. Another thing that I do not want to watch ever again in my life is what I saw in the University of Miami and Georgia Tech football game. What an absolute, total coaching malpractice. If you have not heard, Mario Cristobal, head coach of the University of Miami, they were up on Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech had no more timeouts. 33 seconds left to go in the game. Common sense tells you, kneel on the football. The game is over. Common sense ain't that common. Mario Cristobal, instead of kneeling the football to end the game, decided out of shotgun that I'm going to run the football again. He runs it, hands the football off, and you guessed it, they fumbled. Georgia Tech recovers, and in 22 seconds, the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets drive the ball 75 yards, 74 yards down the field for a game-winning touchdown. Now, you would think to yourself, this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing that happened. What, an, what a brain fart. What an absolute brain fart. You would think that. I would think that. Oh, but not. Not only is this not the first time Mario Cristobal has done that, this is the second time. Mario Cristobal has done something this boneheaded. When he was at Oregon, same situation. All you had to do was kneel down on the football. He didn't. Decided to run the football, turn the ball over to Stanford. They go into overtime and they lose to Stanford. If this ain't coaching malpractice, I don't know what is. Mario Cristobal, I... I you got to, somebody got to dock your pay. Something, something. You, Mario Cristobal, go get that switch. Go get that switch, and you better not bring back a skinny one. The other football, bro. Like, just use your comments. It's like, like, uh, for R. Kelly in that, in that, in that, uh, in that interview with, um, with Gail, he was like, use your common sense. Mario Cristobal, use your common sense, bro. Don't cost those kids a football game because you're incompetent um, in that. And I'll end on this. I, you guys know I'm always going to get a Texas, not a Texas, but, oh, Texas blew a lead to OU. There it is. 
I, you know what, Texas, I, you were this close to me believing. Um, we're back. I was that close. I was, we were rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. And you fumbled the bag in the Red River rivalry. You fumbled the bag. You had it. And then all of a sudden, you gave up. Texas. I was right there. I was ready to be like, they're back. And really, really, really put y'all in that conversation. And of course, I always tell you guys, there will not be a story. There will not be a, a, an episode of hanging, of hanging with the Boys. That's my other show. Talk about all this stuff running together. There'll never be an episode. I shouldn't say never. There won't be an episode in the near future that does not include primetime in Colorado. The best two-way player is back at practice. Travis Hunter is back at practice, returning from the lacerated liver he suffered against Colorado State with the late hit from, the, uh, from Blackburn, the safety. I think he's the best non-quarterback player in the country. I do. But what a masterful job Dion has done. Kept his team afloat. Yes, he took some losses. Won a, won a close game against Arizona State the other night. But in that time, I spoke to you guys before about Cromani uh, McLean, who, is the, who was the five-star DB who wasn't getting any snaps. Because Dion said it's on him. Well, he played. He performed. So now you have him, and they also found Omarion Miller, who stepped up, another freshman who was stepped up in a major way. So now when you have Travis Hunter, you insert him back in the lineup with the five-star cornerback and Omarion Miller, who has stepped up. You can see this thing beginning to kind of go a little bit. I think Travis Hunter is that talented. I think Travis Hunter is good enough to be on the hook for at least two wins by himself. His, his, his natural ability can give you two wins, stopping somebody and scoring on somebody. We'll see what happens. Will Shador be able to give you to a Shador, as DJ Khaled says? Uh, but that's it for me, man. Thank you guys so much for, for, for being here. Episode 22 of Unfiltered with Jesse Holly. I cannot thank you guys enough. I'm so appreciative of you, man. Like, so appreciative of you. Because it doesn't happen without you. Yeah, I get to work on this side of the camera, but it doesn't make a difference if you're not watching. So like, subscribe, tell a friend to tell a friend. Go to uh, uh, Spotify and Apple. Like, subscribe, leave a comment, leave a five-star review. Treat me like Uber. I'm trying to run it up. Thank you guys, man, so much. Remember, never let anyone tell you that their life is better than yours because it is your life. Inspiration, desperation. One of the two will change you. Eliminate the contingencies. I'm out.